Welcome to the fourth episode of the Bookstrong Podcast. The Technician. Starring Coach Ron McKeefery. Let's get right into it. I'm here with Coach McKeefery at Washington University. Just got your new job there, Coach. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I've been at uh, University of Washington now for about four months. Um, I was a, the head football coach at Fresno State. Uh, I got that coach job up here, and it's a good buddy of mine, and came with him and brought most of the coaching staff, and so it's uh, it's been a, a fun transition. Great. So for those who don't know, Coach McKeefrey is the author of CEO Strength Coach, and the book is broken up into multiple sections, but today we're going to focus on the technician section, which to me has some personal value because it's the reason why I started this podcast, actually, and we can get into that in a little bit. So where were you when you wrote this book? I was, uh, I was coaching at Eastern Michigan. Um, we were, I was living apart from my family. We decided to keep my family in Tennessee to finish out school and mm-hmm. stuff for the kids. And um, my condo that I bought flooded and I was stuck in a hotel for about four months. And so rather than just sit there at night, I decided to write a book. It's a decent way to write a book. Um, I know there's your uh, your other book, uh, the name, I'm drawing a blank, The Weight uh, Room. What's yeah, it weight, called? Weight Room Wisdom. Yeah. Well, Coach Caulfield and I joked, it's the most genius idea to get stories from all your buddies that that way they write a book for you. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much that's the case. You know, it's crazy. Actually, as, as crazy as it sounds, that book was way more work than, than writing the book. Uh, um, CEO strength coach. Mm-hmm. Just gotta get everyone, everyone together, and to write something, right? Yeah, and then you know, try to make it sound like it's one voice and mm-hmm. put it together in a in a in a creative way. But um, but yeah, no, it was a uh, it was one of those deals where I was really inspired by the Chicken Soup for the Soul books when I was a kid. I mm-hmm. would read those stories, and I always thought that the stories that strength coaches tell. Um, are you know the, to convey messages that you use with the players as um, as genius work as well, and so I'm trying to put that out there in a, in a creative way. Mm-hmm. So getting into the book a little bit more. So the uh, the second section, the technician, is broken into to five chapters. So I kind of want to go chapter by chapter, and then kind of ask questions about it as we go, and we get a little talk about it. Okay. So the first one is it's called if you if you build te- if you build it teams will call and then the next one's expanding experience which is mostly about building your resume and you know working your way up the totem pole so to speak. The technician phase refers and this chapter refers to the resume, but at what point in a coach's career does this really happen being a technician and does that ever really stop for you? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the premise of the book is that to be a success in anything um, that you choose to do, but specifically strength conditioning, you have to be you have to be great at three things. You have to be a great technician, a great manager and a great entrepreneur. And, you know, our field is still relatively young. It's still, you know, within the first hundred years of its existence. And so, um, 
things are happening at a rapid pace and, and growing at a, at a rapid pace. And so ideas, progressions, regressions, modalities, uh, methods, those things are all changing, um, you know, daily almost. And so to, you have to stay on top of that as a coach. You know, you have, you're, I don't think you ever fully stop being a technician um, in, this, in this field, but most coaches – uh, when they're young and they're just getting in the field, they're they're in a technician stage where all they're focused about is learning sets and reps and exercises and drills and and those types of things. And and that's only a small part of the job. You know, that's just a, a you know very um, small part of it. And so uh, it's good to learn those things, and you need to have an expansive toolbox. But um, it's not to, you know, you're, you're put into like a head strength coach position where you're having to be a manage of, you know, manage time, people, resources, or get in that, uh, that third stage, being a great entrepreneur and being forward thinking and constantly sharpening the sword and challenging your ideals and those types of things. So um, I don't think you get out of it ever, but you know, most young coaches, that's, that's, that's what they think being a strength coach is. And there's so much more to it than that. Mm-hmm. When when you know, when a young coach or anyone's applying for their job, they need a good resume. So as someone who's hired people, what is the purpose of the resume, broadly speaking? Like how important is that for you? Uh, I mean, it's you know, in sales, um, in the business world, it takes five to seven impressions to make a sale. You know, mm-hmm. and so resume is one of those impressions. And so if you have a variety of ways to do it, then I don't think that the resume is that important if you have other ways to to make that impression. That said, for most people, the resume is the first impression, you know? So I think it's extremely important um, where a lot of that came from was really began from a presentation that I gave many, many years ago where I had just looked at so many bad resumes, you know, and, and, you know, I was the guy that would actually print off every resume and give everybody a good look. And, you know, you'd see the good and the bad and the ugly. And and so what I, what I kind of took from that was what I like to see as a hiring manager, what I wanted to see, what information was important, and then kind of constructed that in a way that I thought was uh, efficient for, for coaches. And, um, you know, and so that way, I think putting your life story on a resume, telling me about every Walmart job, you know, mowing job and whatever, I don't think that those things are super important. Uh, and so they don't necessarily be, need to be on your resume. But if you go to a college class, they'll tell you to put everything down because they want to see chronological order. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I don't need to I don't need to see chronological order. I just need to know what what kind of experience you have in the field. And, um, and then, you know, I don't need to hear how, you know, how important you can make an internship sound with 20 different bullet points. You know, I know what an intern pretty much does in strength conditioning. So let's make that super, you know, small and efficient as well. Mm -hmm. My favorite line is talking about how the resume won't get you any job, but it's going to keep you from getting in the garbage pile or thrown out when it comes to the application process. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah, you know, it, it really comes from, you know, when I when I review resumes and, I, you know, I get hundreds and hundreds of resumes for every job that, that comes open at this point. Um, there's got to be a, 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 a process to weed that down, 
you know, yeah. and so I usually make three piles and one of those piles is, you know, like they're just not qualified and, mm-hmm. and you know, they're missing something. They're missing a degree. They're missing a certification. They're missing some experience, whatever it might be. And they just go into that pile. And so, um, if you fail to, to put that on your resume and have it, well, that can keep you out of a pile. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about spending experience. It talks about different things, different experiences that a coach looks for in his interns and his assistants. And one was the publications. And originally when I read this, so I read this book a while ago and then, you know, reread it to, for the interview, but the publications inspired me and I was going to originally write, uh, it talks about writing a blog and I was going to write a blog where I read different strength books, different manuals, so on, and then have some sort of blog post. And then I realized I don't like writing enough. So why not make a podcast? And this was my manifestation of your words essentially. So that's my that's for I haven't said on the show yet, so that's my inspiration for it. So I would like to say thank you, and uh, that's just kind of where it came from. A little bit of a tangent. We can move to the next chapter, the interview process, and you talk about the difference between quality and experience. So, what was your best experience coming up? Yeah, I mean, first I appreciate that. You know, the kind words about um, kind of the inspiration for that. I think. You know, it's actually, you know, the, the book that I'm currently working on, that's, you know, that, that it's, it talks about a little bit about finding your medium, you know, finding out mm-hmm. what, you know, how do you want to kind of, what's the easiest way to put yourself out there? And for some people, that's video. Some people, that's podcasting. Some people, that's mm-hmm. blogging. And finding that medium is, is super important. Um, as far as experience, um, I was very fortunate. I had um, some great experiences early. Uh, I had an internship with the Kansas City Royals with Tim Maxey, uh, who went on to be front office with Major League Baseball. Um, I worked uh, as an intern with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Mark Sonovich, who was one of the best teachers I've ever been around. And those two experiences really shaped me. Um, but, you know, from there, I became essentially a head strength coach. And um, and so reaching out to Fred and, um, and really – challenging myself to kind of to seek out kind of pseudo mentors from around the, the country and around the world was um you know what, what really kind of helped me grow but um experience wise i think getting into those two experiences was probably the best mm-hmm. for uh for a coach now or anyone who's trying to learn more and better themselves what are the good courses and qualifications out right now that besides the CSCS that might not be mandatory, but stuff that is up and coming and looks good and for a coach to have? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the first and foremost thing that you got to have is you got to have your degree and then you have, you need to have an accredited certification. And, and so I, I put certifications in the three categories. You have accredited certifications, things that you have to have to do the job. So that's the CSCS or the CSCCA Mm-hmm. Um, NASM has one that is recognized, but, um, but those are the two, the, the two main ones. So I tell young coaches not to worry about any of those other ones until you have mm-hmm. those done, you know, cause those are what are going to get you hired or keep you from getting a job. Right. This 
there you have philosophical certifications that are things like the EXO certification or, you know, um, different, you know, Mike Boyle certification or Altus's certification or things like that, that are, that you're identifying with a philosophy. Mm. Um, those are good to have, but they also could work against you. So like if, you know, Mike Boyle's a friend, but if I don't like Mike Boyle, um, and right. you put his certification on, on your resume, then I might, I might not be interested in that, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then you have what I call advanced learning, which is all your like kettlebell certifications and speed certifications and, you know, fun, uh, functional movement screens and, and all those things. And that's just showing that you have some advanced learning in a certain area. And so there's never, there's never a cap on how much learning you should have, you know, so as many mm-hmm. as you can, great. Uh, as many of those different philosophies as you can understand and, and, and implement, great. But what's going to keep you from getting hired is not having an accredited certification. Is someone who sides with a philosophy heavily, is that something that might negatively affect them when it comes to you interviewing them? Or Yeah, for me individually, no, because I, you know, I, I recognize that sometimes people are just not exposed to other philosophies. So, you know, that would be, that would be a question in the interview process though, is, mm-hmm. you know, cause as you read the book, you know, that I'm principle based, based, not philosophy based. Right. So, um, so there's positives in that because I, I get to learn, especially being in this business for as long as I have, I get to learn from other people's philosophies mm-hmm. that have gone deep in those areas. But if you're close minded, you know, and I, and I identify that in the, in the interview process, then you're definitely out of the pile. Mm-hmm. Right. What are some attributes of coaches that you've hired that are consistent with the people you've hired? Yeah. I mean, humble and hungry. Uh, those are the, the two things. Like, I, you know, I feel like you've arrived ever then you're not somebody that I want to be around. Um, if you feel like you're, um, you know, uh, you're, you're at this level and, you, you know, you're going to belittle people or mm-hmm. think differently than, you know, I'm not interested in that. Uh, I, I look for former athletes. I think it's super important that you've, you've kind of experienced what our athletes go through so that you can fully understand the challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. Um, I look right now, I look for people that have been ahead before because, you know, I, I want to hire people that have had my job at other places so that they understand right. the challenges that I, you know, that I go through on a daily basis. Um, because it's hard, you know, when, when you all of a sudden you become a head coach, you know, on top of the coaching piece, you've got all these administrative and managerial roles and people don't understand how much of a, a toll that is and, and what that takes, you know, until you sat in that chair. And so, I try to hire people like that because now they're usually relieved that they don't have to do some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they can just coach. Um, right. But those are the qualities I look for. And then I, and then I look for things that are going to balance me out. If you've heard me talk about, um, you know, the, uh, personality profile, Gary Smiley personality profile, where you're either a lion, otter, beaver retriever. So either, you know, your guy that likes to pound your chest, or you're a guy or a gal that likes to be um, very detailed, or you're very outgoing and, and create energy, or you're super loyal 
you know, like, you know, for me, I'm the guy that likes to pound my chest and be up front, but I'm terrible with details. So I need to hire somebody that's really, really good with details. You know, I need to, I need to hire somebody that's going to dance with the music when it comes on. Cause I'm not going to be the one dancing. <laughs> so I look for those things that balance me out. Looking at, you said it already, so I'll just repeat it, but your principle based, not philosophy based. That section gives 10 standards of a coach and it's just, it's beautifully done because it, there, the principles are very simple, but put together, it creates this very flexible foundation that a coach needs to be able to build on it. And it, I guess it, it, it grounds you, gives you humility and the ability to learn from anyone. So the chapter opens with this quote, change your opinions, keep to your principles, change your leaves, keep intact your roots. So is this something that, you know, you take with strength and conditioning, but also outside for any professional or as a, as like you're your father or just being a better man? How do you kind of impl implement these philosophies? Yeah, I mean, those 10 principles I took straight from Ken Manny, so I got to give him credit. You know, mm -hmm. he's, a, he's one of the best strength coaches I've ever been around, and um, he sent me a manual, and not very many people did, and those were the 10 principles that he did. And, and because I didn't have a philosophy, when people were asking me, that's really where that, that came from, and it just it's held true through my entire career. But mm -hmm. um, but I think it kind of goes back to kind of a growth mindset versus fixed mindset. I think when you're fixed, you know, you're, and you're driven to just like one philosophy or one line of thinking, and you don't you don't see that there might be situations or um, instances where a different philosophy might make more sense, or you know, it might make more sense for a different athlete, you know, different body types, different skill sets. Then you know, and you, and you kind of you're you're not open and being to growing, and I don't think you can be in this field if you're not a growth mindset person, you know, it could have been too many examples in my career, you know, where we've been thrown into situations where I didn't have all the tools or all the time or whatever, you know, I mean, just recently we just went through COVID, you know, but, um, and it got down to a point where we were training, you know, 10 athletes at a time, you know, and yeah. uh, spread out with very limited equipment. You know, I've been in, in China training rowing team with no equipment. You know, an Olympic rowing team. Um, and so if you didn't understand time under tension principles or manual resistance or things like that, then and all you did was the Olympic lifts, you would have been in trouble, you know. And so having a big toolbox and being able to, to, to utilize that is super important if you're going to have a lasting career in strength and conditioning. Next section is sharpening the sword, which you also said before. And this is what we just talked about, how you never stop learning. You talk about Coach Cole. Could you talk? Could you tell us who he is and what he did for you? Yeah, Rod Cole was um, the head strength coach at Kansas State University when I was in college. And um, so I went to a little small school in Kansas. K-State was probably oh, two hours away or so. And when I got done playing, I, I reached out to him to go visit and Long story short, he took the time to show me around, um, 
you know, didn't have any kind of job openings or anything, but, you know, kept my contact information and, um, you know, fast forward to many years later, I've, I'd been staying in communication with him. This is really still long before really email and everything was as prevalent as it is today, no cell phones and, and all that. And, um, he ended up tracking me down even when I was over in NFL Europe and to let me know about a job opportunity that was in Tampa, Florida with the University of South Florida um, that, you know, he didn't have to do, you know, and um, it was a connection with a coach that he had, but he knew that I was in Tampa, um, or at least I'd coached in Tampa and made that, that introduction. And uh, that led to me being at the University of South Florida for 10 years and really kind of have the job to start the big job that I was looking for early in my career. And so um, huge, I mean, to me, that's why I try to pay things for That's why I try to do things for, for young coaches, because he, he took that time to really kind of jumpstart my career. Mm-hmm. You talk about doing visits and to me, maybe it's growing up in a gym where I only had eight athletes for a year and a half of my college football career. But is the methods to approaching a coach about doing a visit any different today? What do you recommend for someone like me who wants to reach out to a coach or who's whoever's listening to come to a visit? Yeah, I think it's more important. Um, I think, you know, everybody wants to take the shortcuts now where they want to do just Zooms or, or they, they expect you to drop what you're doing and respond to an email or mm-hmm. – you know, FaceTime or whatever. And, and there's something to be said for you taking your time to, to, to travel and go spend a day and um, interact with the staff. And when you, when you develop, you know, when you take the time like that and a, and a staff takes the time with you, then it makes a lasting impression. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, in those five to seven impressions, you know, you want, you want your impressions to stand out. And so, um, what people don't realize, especially young coaches, is that how just how busy the day is. I mean, you know, just even fitting this interview into the, into my day was was tough. To be mm-hmm. real with you know, right. and and so um, you know, to give up time to try to respond to the the number of emails that I get or or uh, phone calls or you know requests for zooms and things like that, it's hard. And so. Um, especially when you're trying to also be a great husband and father, you know, mm. and, um, you know, so you're here for 12 hours a day and then you got to go home and be a great husband and father for as much time as you can before you fall asleep from exhaustion, you know? So you got to, um, I think you got to, you know, people got to be respectful of time. Time is the, the variable that is a precious commodity and mm can give that back to a coach like if you're an assistant and you can give time back to your your boss that's huge you know when you're an intern you can give time back to the staff in various ways you know then that's huge it stands out you know and same thing when somebody takes the time to come visit that makes it easier you know on us to where now you just hang out and when there's gaps of time that we can talk we can talk mm. it makes a lot of sense Last question. Why is strength and conditioning the best job in the world? Or is it the best job in the world? Yeah, I think I mean, it's the best job in the world for me because it's it's where I put my feet. You know, I think I think that's the number one thing. I think people need to realize that, 
yeah, just like with any job, you, you're choosing that career path. You're, you're choosing, you know, where you put your feet. So if I'm going to put my, my feet somewhere for 80 hours a week, you know, then it, it better be freaking something I love to do, you know? And I think people forget that sometimes. I think the entitlement, I think the, um, you know, just this kind of, uh, unicorn idea of what, you know, this kind of work life balance and all that kind of stuff. Like if you're going to be great at anything, then you're, you're going to be skewed a little bit to the extreme or something, you know, mm. and, um, that's what it takes to, I mean, that's, you know, to, to get, to, to get to the higher levels and to make some of the money that some people are making in this field, like it takes you being skewed to the right a little bit, you know, um, that said, when you, when you are home or when you do leave, um, and do whatever is important to you, for me, it's my wife and the kids, then I'm, a, you know, I, I might be at work 80% of my time and at home 20% of my time, but with that 20% that I'm at home, I'm a hundred percent present. Like I'm only mm -hmm. focused on that. And I think that's the key, right? You know, you got to put, you got, you, know, you want to make sure that you love this, that you, you know, you, you don't feel like you're working a day in your life and that you're hungry. Um, and to me, that's, that's so important. Um, but you also need to make sure that you, you, the things that you do value and cherish, you, you make sure you spend time an equal amount of intensity on. Well said. Thank you, coach. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for being there with us. Make sure to check out the University of Washington and all the great things Coach McKeefrey is doing up there. Once again, Coach, thanks for coming on the show. See you next time when we talk with Dr. Mann about stress.